0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. Last Friday, past members organised and participated in a procession marching, bearing replicas of medieval weapons and armour. This was part of the Himponan Pemuda Islam Terengganu, or also known as Himpit, and they had a gathering. Now, images and videos from the procession that went viral caused a stir and panic on social media, largely among non-Malays, but many Malays too. Some social media users likened the costume and parade to the racist extremist group, Ku Klux Klan, but others have brushed it off as nothing more than cosplay. So, was it merely cosplay or are we witnessing something far more profound and worrying here? Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Badrol Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. Welcome to the show, Badrol. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank I'm, you for having me. I'm good as well. Um, so, let's start from the top, Badrol. What do you make of the video that went viral? Um, what went through your mind when you first saw it?
1: Uh, well, when I first saw it, it was a friend sort of shared with me the video and I thought it was just something sort of silly thing, you know, something sort of funny thing that, you know, people, I don't know why they want to do it, but, you know, it's sort of, you know, something that didn't really grab any attention from me other than, you know, just laughing it off, saying, oh, some silly thing is happening somewhere. So that was my initial thought. And only a while after I started realize how other people are reacting to it, and how other people sort of really sharing it and saying you know uh, their thoughts about it, then I thought, okay, some people are reacting very differently than how I initially reacted to it. Um, so I you know looked at it a little bit more and tried to talk to people also in terms of think about this and try to find out from Trinanga as well what's happening there and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's it's really people's reaction that sort of uh, led me to you know pay more attention to it.
0: People's reaction, like I mentioned, um, was a wide-ranging, right? Some people called it uh, very racialized, um, very extreme. Some people just brushed it off. So let's look from that, the extreme perspective first. Did you get a sense of extremism from the videos? The
1: extreme element didn't come to me immediately, But mm-hmm. at the same time, after looking at it again, then I realized no, it's not entirely innocent. You know this whole thing that they were doing, um, but at the same time, it's more of something that is not well thought of, right? Um, because for me, looking at it, uh, this comes after years of knowing there are a lot of these kind of cosplay events. I mean, we call it cosplay, but so because it kind of is, mm-hmm. where you know a lot of Malay gathered wearing traditional clothes with uh, you know with archery with with you know traditional weapons and all that is something that has been happening in a smaller group of course um, and more private event uh, and it's been going on for years and publicly we started seeing people wearing tanja you know people wearing color outside and then when film Makila came out people really you know came out with full costume all right. so for me it's a it's a um, a continuation of that kind of trend. Now, I think what people are scared about, this one, in particular, is that it is organized by a political party. Right. Uh, So that is the element that, okay, then, uh, you know, it's something that needs to be think about even more rather than just saying this is just one of those, you know, costume or cosplay.
0: So let's unpack that a little bit more because while on the one hand, there is loads of people who are just saying, or well, perhaps had that immediate thought that you had, right? Like, you know, this is cosplay, nothing nothing too threatening on the surface. This is something that they have done before in India, gatherings and, and things like that, perhaps a little bit more small scale. But when you look at the reaction, um, there were non-Malays perhaps more, but even many Malays um, who were genuinely scared when the video um, went viral, um, like I mentioned, like immediately people started com- comparing them to to the Ku Klux Klan, um, which is a highly, highly racist and extreme group in, in the. US that was involved in lynching and, and killing and, and so many um, other aspects, right? Um, what is it um, about our time period right now that is causing this, genuine fear and worry among Malaysians when they saw this video?
1: Well, I guess when it comes to the current climate, we are still coming out of last year's election, where every time during election, you know, this race and ethnic and, you know, supremacy thing sort of came out. uh, And it felt it was a bit more after the election while we were figuring out who's to form the government. So I think that is really behind why the tension and why the really uh, strong reaction by people who really think that this is something that they need to worry about. So that's, I think, the context of the public reaction to it. But for me, I mean, first, I you know, I didn't have that kind of initial reaction, probably because I wasn't really thinking along those lines initially. Right. And thinking about it now, now I see, you know, you know, it, where where I say it's not innocent, where you know this is probably something that the organizers really didn't really think about, uh, which is something that we also probably need to talk about. You know, in terms of why were they thinking about this, or or what was you know uh, the idea behind this, and I think one of the other issue that we actually sh- should actually think about or discuss about at some point is that our fascination of this of this weaponry and military, right. and you know you know, either from the past or present time, people always trying to sort of parade, showing you know, power and all that kind of stuff and glorification of certain element of history that, you know, we might not even know whether it's entirely factual or not, you know. Uh, So I think those are some elements that um, unfortunately when it comes to us looking at history, either religious history or national history or history of any uh, group of people we tend to glorify those elements and when we do events that sort of try to spark some kind of a uh, collective identity we, we incorporate that element in our parade right instead of a more peaceful and more uh, compassionate and more um, you know, you know peace building kind of element you know it's all about you know we were strong we were this we were that and you know uh, we can be strong like those days again. So I think that was is one of the issues that we also need to think about uh, among among ourselves.
0: I think you bring up a f- fantastic point about this glorification of of war, of violence, of weaponry. But that perhaps is a larger societal problem, is it not? When we watch our movies, films glorify war. Films glorify the American military com- complex, the, industri- uh, the military industrial complex. Action films is the most popular genre. People love watching violence, which I think it's a problem in and of itself. But what separates um, that? glorification of violence? Because in in essence, even, let's say, when you cosplay, an at, at actual anime cosplay or a, or a comic book cosplay a event, there is that element of, of you know, weapons and gadgets and, and all of these things as well. Um, so what do you think separates that from this?
1: What separates that from this is that there's an element of this being organised by a political party, which if we're thinking about the worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. it can lead to an organized movement by the political party, whichever political party that wants to use it, or whichever political player, not even party, just anyone who see this as an opportunity to, you know, to push for something further, can use this element and this sort of um, uh, spirit that is out there among the youth right now and uh, channel it into something that will only benefit them and you know uh, you know bring harm to others. so that is what we are worried about. Um, and I think that is what a lot of us uh, sort of thinking about also when it comes to looking at this compared to looking at other kind of parade or other, other kind of uh, events where they you know, you know do similar kind of um,
0: breast code. <laughs> On top of that, right? This also comes at the heels of one of the Trunganos Arduns, um, Dr. Azman Ibrahim. I think just about uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, he posted a picture on Twitter of what appears to be a Chinese man pulling a rickshaw of a Malay man, and, and with the caption that that says "Swatu Katika di tanah airku." I'm that post also received massive backlash. Um, understandably so. Again, I think it goes back to this this false um, sense of romanticizing the, the past and, and twisting facts and, and romanticizing that. Um, but I'm wondering if this po- uh, this post um, by Dr. Asman informed the sentiment and, and reaction and outrage towards the video of the himpit procession.
1: I don't know if that particular video directly influenced something mm-hmm. scene. This new video that just came out three days ago, but like I said, it's the entire climate that we've been sort of that we are still going through post GE 15, where certain elements are being brought up that doesn't sit well with a lot of people who are, you know, I would say, uh, either peace loving people or people who are just not on the other side's camp, right? And uh, so, this past few months, we haven't really done anything to ease the tension, you know, none of the uh, political leaders, whether they are in government or not, are trying to do anything other than, you know, this really talk about that, about this, about Madame, about that, but where's the effort on the ground to do that? And at the same time, where's our progressive movement? We have, I mean, what we really need to look at is that when we look at how uh, the march happened with the costumes and all that. Is that they are organized and that really scare people at this right. i mean it's a really small scale we have to really you know look at it again it's not a really big massive gathering but it's organized enough that people are sort of scared about okay then the, the what we should ask about what's the progressive movement are doing on the other side are we organizing ourselves to push for our own agenda are we you know organizing ourselves to make sure that all the tension that has been built up are sort of de-escalating and hopefully we can find a resolution on this we're not really doing that. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is just reacting to things. And unfortunately, I do think there's an element of overreaction to this. I mean, those claims about 2 Plus clan I mean, these, these are really far-fetched you know, uh, comparison. What, what we should compare those, uh, the three ones is what, with how Hishamri Hussein came to put Agong with the Chris That's right. even more dangerous than what happened with the young kids with the costume. So we really need to know where are these things in place in terms of how dangerous they are? And our reaction to it needs to be proportionate with the idea of finding a peaceful solution and rather than just bashing and bashing and bashing. Because if we if we just continue bashing, we are going to collide. And the whole point is to avoid any kind of collision.
0: Some experts, um, like Munira Mustafa, who has studied extremism throughout her career, she essentially posted a thread on Twitter basically saying that, like what you said, um, the comparisons to the KKK are perhaps uncalled for. And these types of reactions, this, this, this like you mentioned, it, it could perhaps it's a, a bit of an overreaction, doesn't really accomplish anything except it, it sort of stokes the fire. It, it fear mongers. It creates a, a more hostile a, a, a environment where a lot of people are afraid. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I think, like I said just now, I mean, KKK is an extremely, very different organization. Like, And what you were saying also, they lynched, kidnapped, you know. Those kids didn't. <laughs> they were just carrying fake swords. At <laughs> <laughs> a very wrong timing <laughs> because of the tension that we are sort of really facing. Right. Now. So what we need to do, rather than... Uh, because, you know, other than, other than people's reaction, we hear people saying, you know, police needs to clamp down, and now they are really investigating, they're confiscating all those, you know, fake weapons. Do we really need to go that far? I mean, I remember when we were protesting and we were, when we were um, you know, uh, arguing against police hard reaction to protesters. So what is this? How is this different from their reaction to the kids? I mean, we know that what they did is wrong, Uh, But, you know, there are other ways to do it. And within a very tense climate, what we should do is to de-escalate rather than further escalating the tension. And that's what we need to do.
0: On the show with me today is Badrul Hishami Smile, Director of Programs at Iman Research. After the break, I get his thoughts on the Home Ministry's response to the procession. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan. And on the show with me today is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. And we're talking about the recent gathering by Terengganu past members in which they marched carrying replica weapons. So, Badro, the Pakatan Harapan um, arm from Terengganu has filed a police report against the gathering. Like you said, uh, investigations are currently ongoing. They have confiscated the, the fake weapons. Is this a wise move on the on the front of uh, Pakatan Harapan, is this a wise move? Is this the morally right move? Or will this only further galvanize um Pass and its supporters and and drive a, further drive the polarization right um and I saw an interesting uh, comment I like, I can't remember who who is it from but but it's a very interesting comment by a progressive um social media user and he basically just threw threw a, a sort of a, a suggestion or, or a remark which somewhat ties into what you just brought up and that is. Um, how some people are reacting, and you know, you're going, you're sending the cops on them. Um, why are we afraid? And this this commenter asks about, you know, these uh, you know kids in costumes. Why are we afraid of them more? Um, when we should be thinking about, you know, police violence and and clamping down and and things like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that comment. I mean, there are things that we need to learn how to deal with it ourselves, than sending the you know the strong hand of of the authority to do it because, I mean, once that happens, then, I mean, like I said, we are on the progressive side. Ourselves, you are, you know, talking about police violence, or talking about unnecessary reaction from the authority. And then suddenly we say, okay, you cannot do that to us, but you can do it to other people who we don't agree with. So that's just, you know, hypocrite. And talking about right or wrong, there's one thing about being right. And there's one thing about doing the right thing. And we need to be able to figure out which one that we need to do. Either just being right and showing and, you know, um, pushing our stand that we are right. Or doing the right thing, which is not let this thing escalate further. And that needs a lot of work. <laughs> and the longer we wait to do that work, the, 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 the further we are from solving any kind of issue.
0: So, how do you see it then? Um. Where do we draw the line when it comes to freedom of assembly? Because I think that is an important thing. Um, we, like you said, um, the progressives often protest. And then when police, uh, you know, they, they restrict the, pro- uh, the protest, they do unnecessary investigations. Um you know the complaint is always you know we don't the progressives do not have enough space um, you know we need we have a freedom of assembly in in our constitution um, and, and things like that. But of course the other side of the argument is that freedom of assembly, freedom of expression there's a limit um, you know it shouldn't cross into that that you shouldn't uh, you know go into that territory of hate speech or inciting hatred or violence among people. Do you think this video um, that was circulating and the images, do you think it, it, it falls into that that, that that or it crosses that threshold of, of hate speech, inciting violence and so on and so forth?
1: Well, there's one thing about a person or a group of people expressing uh, their identity mm-hmm. or their opinion that fall into that kind of freedom of expression thing. And there's also the other element of how the public will react to it. Whether mm-hmm. they will react with in a, you know, constructive manner, or they will feel that they are being threatened and then they feel that, uh, this is encroaching to their own security. Right. And whether those actions are going to incite violence for like what you were saying. So these are the things that we need to talk about. And looking at the parade that happened is yes, they do have a right for assembly, but their action, like I said earlier, is not innocent where it actually does create or it did create a sense of insecurity among people who looking at it from a different perspective and have their own history that sort of inform how they felt, which is very legitimate as well. So what we need to do is to be able to talk about that among ourselves, among people in Janganu, part of the organizer, and among people who react to it, we need to be able to, to talk it out in a sense that, yes, we understand that you have the right to do it but we are also reacting it differently because you have to understand our perspective and our history that led to our speaking as well so where can we sort of figure out that you know that this thing that we understand each other and we don't need the police to do that in fact we should not involve the police because that then the conversation is not going to happen then the other group is going to feel that they are being attacked, just like how the progressive always felt that they were being attacked. And then everybody's going to be in this siege mentality, and everybody's going to say that it's just us versus them, blah, 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 blah. And it's just going to head to collision. It happens in a lot of other countries before. It's happening in a lot of countries now. What we need to do is learn from that and figure out how to avoid that. Because in the end, violence is something that we need to entirely avoid. It serves nobody anything. And only serve people who are not part of the <laughs> violence, who are not going to be the victim. And mostly, people are in power. We need to figure out ourselves how to, figure, how to deal with it, rather than letting them de- dealing it with us, which is not going to be good for us, also.
0: Um, some of the comments, um, and I understand it's it's a uh, it's insecurity. Um, like we discussed, it is scary images. Um, there's no denying that. and like you said, um, th- these images that the parade may not have been as innocent as it initially seemed as well. But do you think you know just calling the cops, Um, sending the police could just lead on to further escalation where, say, if we have Perikatan National and and that sort of um, Keluarga Malaysia government in in power, then they are sending the police on one group. And then now you have uh, uh, Malaysia Madani government in power led by Pakatan Harapan and they are sending the police on another group. So it just becomes a case of whoever is in power unleashing the authorities on 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 the masses um do you think that it just it could sort of lead to a very uh, a negative way of dealing with these issues
1: very much so and at the same time we are in a country where when we send the authority to you know do the peacemaking for us you know they have really harsh laws with them to use to utilize we still have so much we still have pota. Uh, so are we going to, I mean, this is just going to give them a green light to to use this, these these really harsh laws that we are fighting against. In the end, we cannot let other people solve our problem for us. We need to solve a problem ourselves, especially people who are going to benefit even more <laughs> from, from taking the, the responsibility from us. We don't want that. We don't want a, a, a more stronger state than we already are right now. This is where we need to really think about whether we want to send
0: the cops or not. On the flip side, though, Badrul, there is also an argument um, where we have to look at the signs before it's too late. That's the argument, right? Um, history is full of dire events that took place because people ignored or downplayed the warning signs. So that's another argument that people have been putting forth, that if we don't take this react. The way we do react with this outrage—if we don't, you know, send the the cops and the the authorities and and you know, get the home ministry to comment and make it like this big issue—then we could be ignoring or we if we just brush it off and be like, okay, these are people in tranganu um, i cosplaying, you know, it's maybe it's not so innocent, but it's not that big of a deal. Then down the road, this so this this cosplay group could evolve into an actual. K where the fake weapons could become real weapons.
1: Well, we cannot brush it up. Uh, we do need to sort of look into this, and we need to, uh, like I said, like I mean, like you said, looking at whether you know these are uh, just initial signs or something that can lead to something even more dangerous. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? Because we, in the end, the point is for us to let the organisers and the participants know that how what they did was actually not entirely innocent. And how it's actually wrong for them to do it, uh, it creates unnecessary tension. And the only way for us to be able to have a chance to let them understand that is by engaging with them rather than sending authority. Because uh, the police are not going to argue with them what you did is wrong, why, and explaining and all that. They're not going to do that. And they're just going to see you break the law or not. You break the law, then you're going to be punished. It's a very punitive way of dealing with Um, You know any tension or or issues or troubles, and we don't want to go there. We try to avoid it till the very end. That's basically what I think we should do. You know, violence and harsh uh, approach is the last thing that we should always uh, you know um, take. Uh, And if there's any chance to to amicably discuss and find. Uh, some kind of understanding of each other. That's always have to be the priority. Even in, in war, we should always give peace negotiation uh, a priority. Let alone in the peaceful time like this. I mean, peaceful, you know, relatively peaceful.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: So that should always be the other priority.
0: The whole ministry. Um released a statement, um, basically saying, um, and I quote, the public is aware that the country is facing challenges with regards to the 3R of politics, which is race, religion, and royalty. And this has yet to be settled after the last general elections. Um, I request everyone to take into account sensitivities and remain responsible to avoid actions that could result in an even more heated situation. Um, What do you think of the Home Ministry's response to it? Do you think this... Situation even warranted an official statement by the Home Ministry.
1: I think it came to a point where uh, the statement was uh, welcome mm-hmm. because of you know the ongoing reaction from both sides about the issue. You know, it happened like on Sunday, when I'm saying, and right. right now it's you know midweek and people are still talking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think it was something that you know very warranted for the Home Ministry to come and say that kind of thing and. To say that, you know, um, I think it was a kind of an honest right. statement, uh, you know, saying that we are, we do have this problem. We are dealing with a lot of differences among ourselves and you know, the least that we can do is not to escalate it further. So, yeah, I think it was, a, it was a you know pretty good statement coming from
0: that. Right. There's clearly a lot of insecurity and fear among Malaysians today. Um this has been heightened by the result of GE15, which clearly indicate a, a highly polarised Malaysia. What should the government do about this polarisation in this country? And not just about this particular issue, right? Because it is every, almost every day there's some post or some statement made in parliament or something that comes out on social media that is causing massive outrage. How should either the government or the progressives um, try to, to to heal the polarization in this country?
1: When it comes to government, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of expectations of that. Um, because, you know, they only uh, react to things when they see that there's a need to react to it uh, politically, uh, when there's benefit or uh, there's a downside of not reacting to it politically. So waiting for them to do anything or to initiate any kind of thing first is something that I think, you know, you know, sixty years of being a country, I think we should we should you know already know that that's not gonna be the case. We should the people need to initiate or uh, whatever that needs to be done ourselves first, then only they will respond and then only whether they will follow up with it or they will <laughs> react to it in a negative way. So but at least we have to start ourselves. And one of the main issues that we've been dealing with for the past for the since the country existed, probably even before, is that we really have to figure out how to coexist with each other peacefully. Without tension, we coexist, but the mm-hmm. tension is always there. Right. Uh, it hasn't led to really strong. I mean, it has to led to a few cases here, and there. Every you know, every ten years or so, something will happen. You know, uh, I, it's just in terms of scale, whether it's big or not. In terms of schedule, it's big enough. Mm-hmm. But so something always happened like within kind of a decade or so. Um, and that is something that we need to figure out how to do. No uh laws and no um, I don't know, harsh um, you know measures can ever deal with that issue that we haven't figured out how to coexist with one another. And this is where I think the government cannot really help us with that. What they can only do is make sure that when there's violence, they can stop it. Hmm. Or before there's violence, they can preempt it this it, which is open to a lot of discussion, like how, how are they going to preempt, how far can they intervene even before something that's happening or not. So, but that's one thing. But that's the best thing to can do.
0: Right. And, and
1: easing the tension, you know, that, it's all up to us. It's not up to the government to do it.
0: You mentioned that no laws um, can solve this problem. I'm wondering if pandering can solve this problem, because that seems to me um, a lot of times how the government um, tries to resolve the, the, the differences by just pandering to the hardcore conservatives by bashing the, the certain marginalized or minority groups that the um, hardcore conservatives like past have bashed. And now the government um, ha- is continuing that bashing or they bash secularism and, and things like that. This government is doing these kinds of things. Do you think that's a good way to solve polarization by pandering to the conservatives?
1: Of course not. And the thing about the government is their mindset is just whether they're going to get vote for the next election or not. You know, so that is, that, that's the, one, of the, one of the, you know, um, the main thing that's on their head is how are they going to survive the next political cycle, right? Or at least how to get to at least to survive to run for the election, you know? So again, waiting for them to think for us is not going to work. What we need to do is push them to think for us. Again, they are our servants. They work for us, and we always need to remember that. And if we don't monitor people who are supposed to serve us, they're just going to do whatever they want. And this is where we need to take ownership of the country. We can't just let people in the parliament decide for us. We, need, we have to push them. And this is where I think, when we talking talking earlier about uh, the progressive organizing ourselves, we we are losing the ground because of this. We haven't been organizing for the past few years. The last one was bursi Right. And all that. You know, and where, where's the next? Well, how can we stop organising ourselves? I think this trust on the government is something that we really need to... Whoever becomes a government, they're the last person we should trust.
0: Before we wrap this conversation up, Badrol, would you have a, some final thoughts or a final message for us with regard to this um, You know, this this gathering that happened in Trungano. Oh, I
1: guess <laughs> the only <laughs> thing I can say is whatever we want to do... try to think about how other people will react to it, other people who are outside of your circle. And just thinking about it can probably lead to a lot of, you know, good decision-making rather than poor
0: ones. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, man. That was Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Live and Learn BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.